morning, everyone. How are we? Everybody doing well today? So proud of you for being here in this service on this day. Be honest, it was hard to wake up this morning. I was confused the whole time. Some of you felt that way too. I have always known that I was a dork. <laughs> My siblings always let me know, okay? But only in the last probably seven, eight years have I come to embrace the world of not just being a dork, but being a nerd, okay? Or maybe some people might define it differently. We can have these conversations after we're done today about what a nerd is and what a geek is. Some of you might say I'm a geek or a nerd, but I've always been a dork, but the reality is over the last years I've become a nerd, geek, combo, something of that sort, and I'll tell you why. When, when we lived in Dallas, we, I had a 45-minute commute to work every morning and then a, about an hour commute home every day. So I would get in uh, the car and I would take off. And when I started that commute, uh, I was like, I'm gonna use this time to become more spiritual and to become a better leader. So downloaded books that were like uh, really like high-powered leadership books. I started listening to different podcasts and that sort of thing. And I kept getting to work and I felt awful about myself, okay? Anybody ever been here before? I would listen to these podcasts and I get there and I was like, that's just one more thing that I'm bad at that I'm gonna have to get better at if I'm ever gonna be any kind of leader that's worth a darn, okay? So I'd do that and then I'd get in the car in the afternoon and I'm like, I'm gonna listen to this book, this great nonfiction Christian ministry book that's gonna make me a better leader and it would just put me to sleep on the way home while I'm driving down the road on the way. And I'm not saying the book's a bad book, it's just like it just wasn't a great format and time of day for me. And so in, in light of that reality, feeling bad in the morning and being sleepy in the afternoon, I decided to change it up. And so uh, I think on the recommendation of a friend of mine, I listened to a book from the sci-fi and fantasy genre. Okay, any other nerds in the room with me? There's a few of you here today. So I picked it up and you're like, man, I didn't know Kirk was that kind of guy. And guess what? I am. So if you don't like it, then I don't know what to tell you. This is, this is something that I've become over the last few years and started listening to these books that were like several volumes long, these stories that were like one, two, three, four, five books long, and I was devouring these things, right? In the past, I might read like four or five books in a year. Now I read like somewhere close to like 12 to 15 books in a year, these big, long books, and it's because I just love to listen to this genre. And I don't, at one point, I felt pretty ashamed of it, but now I've stepped into the light, and I'm telling you, I really, really enjoy it. And what it did for me is it allowed me to be in a space where I could um, enjoy myself driving to work and I can enjoy myself driving home and kind of get caught up in a story. I mentioned that this morning because one of the things you learn in those genres that you don't see as much in nonfiction or even in like realistic fiction is that the author in those particular instances is the authority, not just the one in charge of writing the story, but the one who creates the world and how that particular world 
operates, right? Think about Harry Potter. Think about Hogwarts, right? J.K. Rowling is not just the author of a book. She is the creator of a sort of universe in this particular series that people follow along with. The rules that the people operate by aren't the rules that we operate by. The rules that she had to make up along the way. Is everybody following me? Everybody tracking along with me? So it's the same in a lot of these series, right? You have an author who writes, and that author is the authority of the book. You might think, well, like, Someone like Harry Potter, or maybe Frodo and Samwise, or maybe the kids in Narnia, or any other number of Katniss Everdeen and others. Maybe they're the expert or the ultimate authority because they're actually living the experience. But the truth is, they only see one little snippet, and the ultimate authority in all of these books is an authority outside of the book who's writing the book, and that authority is the author. Now, a couple of things that that means, okay? I think... In our day and time, when we talk about authority, we often are discussing things like power, okay? Who's in charge? And that's certainly true here. Who's in charge in the writing of these these grand epic series, right? It's the author, right? That's for sure true. But that's not the only definition of authority, right? Authority is not just who's in charge. The authority is also the expert. You guys see what I'm saying? We're talking about the one who understands the dynamics and the way that the world works down to its very core. The one who understands the beginning and the end of the story in a way that none of the characters do, right? The authority is not just the one in charge. The authority is the expert. And you guys already see this. Like, it's already right here in front of you. Easiest illustration in the world to grab hold of this morning. The same is true in our relationship with God, right? God is not just the in charge, power over the universe, authority, but God is also the expert in the human experience. Why? Because he made it. He's the author of the human experience, right? He made us and our emotions, our desires. He he wired the circuitry in our brains. He understands why we work the way we do. Even when scientists can't figure out why we do the things that we do, God knows why we do the things we do because he made us, he's the expert, he's the authority on human beings, and not just on human beings, but on the human experience. God knows all of this stuff, and it's one of the great reasons why we choose to follow him, right? Because we don't have the perspective that he has, okay? So today, we're gonna look at a passage in 2 Peter that's gonna really look at the idea of authority in scripture, in particular, the authority with which people speak. Okay, so if you guys would, turn with me over to 2 Peter. We're in a series called Growing Pains. And before we get into our passage today, I wanna go back to our passage um, from last week in chapter one and just show you this theme at play um, in the passage. It says this, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about himself and the disciples. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came uh, to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so right, right off the bat, Peter's saying, look, we experienced this. We saw it firsthand. Jesus doing the things that he did, right? If we speak with any authority, it's as someone who lived the story with the author, okay? He's like, if you don't believe me, 
Verse 19 says, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, right? That is, the, the character in the story doesn't make up the story, okay? It's the author because no prophecy ever came by the will of man, instead, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, okay? So right off the bat, you see Peter focusing his attention at this group of people and helping them understand, look, the communication that we're bringing you about God, it's not from us. It's not put together by human minds. We didn't come up with it on our own. We didn't make up these stories. We lived them, and if you don't believe that, look at the prophets and all they said about Jesus and all that's come true now. The prophets didn't say anything on their own. All of that came directly from God through people to people in that day. And so if you're gonna pay attention to anyone, pay attention to them, look what God did through them. So this is sort of a, a picture of a group, this, this section is a picture of people who are living in tune with the author. Does that make sense? who are living in tune with the story that they're in and the author who's writing it. Okay, but then we have another picture of a group of people who are quite the opposite. So this is our passage today. You guys uh, look at that there. Chapter two, verse one says, this is in contrast to the disciples and to the prophets. It says, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. And many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. And they will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. So let me show you a couple of things here. The first is in verse three it says, they will exploit you in their greed with made up stories. What I wanna point out there just really quickly is when you're talking about a false prophet or a false teacher, you're talking about someone who's not receiving their information from the author directly. They're making it up from within. And here's an important thing. Oftentimes, and we know this if we just look around our world and the circles that we operate in, oftentimes what those people make up right, and a lot of times to speak for God when it's not actually from God, are not driven by a desire to honor the author, it's driven by a desire to honor the desires in their heart for their lives. Does that make sense? And so we're careful with those people and their made up stories. But I wanna show you this, going back um, earlier in verse one, it says, they will bring in destructive heresies, even, listen to these words, denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Verse two, many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. So remember, we talked about an author who is the authority in our life. And so what does it show us immediately? When people wanna chase after their own desires, what do they do first? They deny the master, right? They go straight at the authority. We see this in our lives. We see it in our lives personally. We see it in our culture. When you don't like what God has to say, what do you do first? You go straight at God, right? You 
abandon what he has to say, but then look, the next thing it says is they malign his truth. So you have God, so you go to him, you deny him, you basically look at the things he has to say. And by the way, the, our enemy, the devil, did this very well, right, in Genesis chapter three, right? You, you deny the master, you malign what he has to say, right? The story that he's writing, you just basically say this is corrupt or wrong or out of, the, out of order or he's not this or he's not that, and then you get fruit from that kind of life, okay? So if I could like just uh, explain it on the reverse, it is we have beliefs about God that turn, or we have an understanding of God that turns into an understanding of, of our world and our lives, right? God and then our beliefs about what's true, what's not, what's right, what's beautiful, what's good, all these things that come about because of our understanding of God, which in, turns, uh, which in tune turns into the way that we live our lives. Right? So you have an understanding of God that turns into a set of beliefs that informs the way that we live our lives. This is how we operate as human beings. That's why people say things like, uh, your view of God is the most important thing about you, right? Because how you understand the author says a lot about how you're gonna understand the story that you're living in, right? A lot, okay? So, in this case, a set of beliefs about the maker, right, denying him, leads to a set of beliefs about what he has to say, right, maligning the truth, which turns into, if we look at our passage there, right, one more time, it says, uh, even denying the master who brought them, what's the outcome? It will bring swift destruction on themselves, okay? So you might ask, like, what is this getting at here? And here's what, I'm, here's what I wanna illustrate right off the bat. Before we get into God executing punishment on those who live outside of his way, right? Because that's where we wanna jump immediately when we read passages like this. But you should know this first piece is not about God inflicting destruction on a group of people. This is about a group of people inflicting destruction on themselves because of the way that they treat God. Does that make sense? It's about a group of people who look at God and say, I deny everything about you, what you say is not true, and I'm gonna reap the benefits of it, which in this case is self-destruction. So think about it in, 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 in terms of like a story, right? You have these characters in a story who are living in line with the way that the author wrote the story, right? The author is the authority. The author understands things better, the author's in charge, and the character is living, as long as a character is living in tune with that story, that character goes the way of the author and things go pretty well. But the moment that character makes a decision, I know this is kind of like heady stuff because you're talking about characters in a story talking and denying an author of the particular story, which is kind of weird. But think about this, when you decide, I'm no longer gonna work with the reality that the author has created for me here. Right, if gravity works this way, I'm gonna do it this way instead. Right, if the laws of physics do this, I'm gonna do this instead. I'm not gonna operate according to the way that the author has set these things up. And the moment you step outside of the way the author has set things up, what do you reap? Your own destruction, right? It's not necessarily that the author is sitting there punishing you and punishing you. It's that the good author set up the world in a particular way and ask you to live in tune with that particular reality. When you step out from under his authority and do your own thing, you reap your own destruction. Okay, that's kind of what the passage is trying to show us. Let's keep reading together. 
Um, the last part of that, verse three says, they'll exploit you in their greed with made up stories, their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. Verse four, for, this, this is important, look for this, this uh, combination of words, if God, okay? For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he or if God didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he or if God reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's coming to the ungodly, and if God rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for, excuse me, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Verse nine, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Friends, I want this to stand out to you like a beacon this morning. There's one thing today that's so important that I just feel like the Holy Spirit this week was like, get this to the church, it's this. Over and over in this particular section, it says, for if God, for if God, for if God, giving example after example. In some cases, God punishing those who acted in an evil way. In other, other instances, God rescuing those who were acting in a righteous way but found themselves in a perilous moment. If God, for if God, and if God, and if God, verse nine, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. I want you to hear this this morning. If you are Frodo and Samwise, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, there are multiple moments in your story where you think it's over, right? That just feel so perilous that there's no way that there's another way out, right? In fact, great writers, great authors write books that have a lot of conflict with great moments of climax and then resolution, right? Stories that lack that aren't very good stories, right? But these characters in that story, as they went along the way, and I know some of you are like, that is such a rudimentary um, illustration, but I just find it to be really meaningful to me, right? They didn't know what was gonna happen. In their head, they're thinking, there's no way out. But you know who knows the way out? Tolkien knows the way out. The author knows. Even before they're in the situation they're in, he knows. He knows how to get them out of the pickle that they're in, right? And you go all through these stories. I mean, you got the stories of the kids and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Aslan dies, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's over. How in the world are we gonna come back from this, right? The witch is gonna win, and the story's done, but then who knows? Who knows, right? C.S. Lewis knows, right? And who knew? When Jesus hung on a cross and died and his disciples wept together, feeling hopeless, that on the third day he would rise from the dead. The author knew. 
The author knew. He knew. This morning, some of you, and please hear this, some of you are walking through some stuff. And like these characters in the story, you're feeling like, I can't see a way out. I can't see it, God. It feels like the road ahead is perilous and it doesn't feel like there's another way. But this says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. If God can do all that he did throughout the pages of scripture, then God can rescue the godly from trials. Right, some of you are in financial states right now where you're like, there is no way that we're gonna get out of this. And I would just remind you, but God, he knows how to get out of it. The author understands how to get you out of this particular situation that you find yourself in. You may have to live in a particular way to get where he wants you to go, but God knows. He knows how to get you out of that, right? Some of you are in deep sin struggles, even addictions, that you're like just struggling with and you're in a moment in the story as the character in the life that you're living and you're going, how is there another way out? What can I do? It feels like I can't get away from this. In fact, we'll read in a second about a dog returning to its vomit, right? And we'll get to that in a moment. But some of you feel like that's my life. I try to leave something behind, but then it comes back again and I try to leave it behind and then it comes back again and I can't get rid of it. And you're thinking, what can I do? The road ahead feels perilous. And I would remind you, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He knows how. When you don't know how, he knows how. Friends, he knows how. And so as you struggle, would you be reminded that he knows how? Oh, y'all, I needed this this week. Our family's walking through a deal with our youngest son right now that's really hard. We talked with our life group about it several times and we prayed about it and I just needed this passage to remind me, Kirk, God's been faithful to you over and over and over again. If he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this, then he can do this too, right? I needed that. And man, my hope is that perhaps some of you today who find yourself in a similar situation would hear that, not just in your mind, but would hear that at a heart level let it sink in, right? The same God who's been faithful to you at other moments in your life, he knows how to get you out of what you're in now, right? If he doesn't know how to get you out of it, he has a plan to lead you through it, okay? So might we turn to him? See, the the life of a person that is living in tune with God is a life that trusts him, right? That he knows what he's doing and then chooses to obey him Because in that trust, you recognize, I don't see the whole thing. I don't know the whole plan. I don't know what's on the other side of that mountain. He does. He does, so I'm gonna follow his way. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'm gonna keep walking. I'm gonna keep doing the right thing. I'm gonna keep showing up because I trust that the author is the authority, not just of life, but of my life as well. And I can follow him, okay? So this next section, Um, it continues on with those, especially those who follow the polluted desires of the flesh and really just describes these people in that particular day in this church who are walking out of tune with the reality that God has established. Let me read you this next section. It says, bold, arrogant people. They're not afraid to slander the glorious ones. 
However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they don't understand. Sound like our world. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm that they've done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They're spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you, okay? They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. I mean, Peter's really concerned. They've gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Buzor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. Speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So right here in these, this section, we're just given a glimpse at the life of those who step out from under the authority of the author, who choose to go their own way. One of the things I think is significant just to point out in the story is that or in the story, in this story, but also in this passage, is that not only do people reap destruction on themselves by walking outside of God's way, in the end, those who don't turn to God reap destruction from God, okay? That's a hard one to talk about, and we're not gonna talk about it at length today, but there, the Bible does tell us the wages of sin is death, and that is true, that if we deny God and deny God and deny God and deny God, eventually we will reap that punishment for denying God over and over and over and over again in our lives. But that God's desire is not that we stay far away from him. His desire is not to punish us. His desire is that we would not reap self-destruction and that we wouldn't reap his destruction by turning to him. Right? That's his hope. That's his desire. Just live in tune with reality. Understand the author's love for you and walk with him. Let's keep going. Verse 17 it says, these people are springs without water, misdriven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has, has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. Right? This is their people coming into the church who have barely escaped, right, the sin in their lives. They come into the church, and what do they find? Idiots preaching stuff outside of God's will that actually push people back out into the stuff that they tried to leave behind, okay? Verse 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. I really enjoyed studying this passage this week, church. And I think the thing that it enlivened inside of me, and I hope it does inside of you, is just that simple reality that God desires that we live under his authority, right? Both God in charge, Jesus is king, and his expertise in the way that human beings ought to live our lives. Right? When you're in the New Testament, you see over and over again, uh, and even in the Old Testament, God's desire is just obedience, obedience, obedience. It's like, why is God so 
like, why is obedience such a big deal for God? Why is he like such a stickler for this thing? And I think at the end of the day, God understands that he made a world and that if we'll live in obedience to him, we'll live in tune with the reality that he created, right? And he understands that when we step outside of it, he loves us, right? If we step outside of it and when we step outside of it, that we're just hurting ourselves. So why does God want obedience? It's not for some weird narcissistic reason. It's because God recognizes that the greatest place for us to be is on the path that he's given for us. And I know that for some of us, that's a really difficult reality to accept, right? But I'm just trying my best to explain to you what passages like these and other passages in the Bible teach us. I'll tell you this. This uh, this isn't in the passage today, so I'm not preaching this passage when I tell you this. But I've been thinking a lot about the fact, why would God talk about love and him being love so stinking much all throughout the pages of Scripture, Right? First of all, because he is love, right? It's his character and he wants us to understand that. But what is the smartest thing for an authority to express to those people that he's asking to be obedient? Right? He wants them to know my intentions for you are benevolent. My intentions for you are good. You are the characters in the story that I'm trying to get up Mordor to drop the ring in the fire, and I'm trying to get you there, but a lot of you guys are going off track and doing a lot of crazy stuff along the way that's hurting you. So follow my way. I love you. 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 Telling us over and over and over again, it's what I'm made of. It's what I want to do for you. Why would he keep saying that? Because he recognizes that as human beings, we will abandon the way that he would have us live our lives if we don't know that he loves us, right? But he loves us. He does love us. And he does have good intentions for our lives. And if he sees the world better than I do, and he really loves me, even to the point of sending his son into our world to experience the human experience for himself and dying a death on the cross that I might have life, if God loves me in that way and he has that kind of perspective, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna follow that way. And in moments when I realize I'm off track, I'm gonna say, God, I was wrong, you were right, and I'm getting back on the path because I recognize it's the right path to be on. And so today we're gonna enter into a time that's a little bit different than we normally do on a Sunday morning. But this is what I want us to do today. We've been talking about this a lot as a staff. And I think it's important for us as a church, something that we forget to do. There are moments in our life when we get off track when we abandon the path, we step outside of the story that God is asking us to live. And in those moments, what we are instructed to do is to confess and repent. Okay, now listen. One of the best definitions of repentance I ever heard, right? A lot of people, when they're talking about repentance is you're walking this way, you realize it's the wrong way, and then you go back this way, okay? So that's one definition of repentance. But the best one I ever heard um, kind of pertain to the world that Jesus grew up in and around. And that is when a new leader came into power, right? People would say things like, repent for the kingdom of so-and-so is at hand. And what that meant is, there's new leadership in town, follow him, okay? So yes, repentance is deciding I'm going in the wrong direction but there's a relational quality to it saying, I was wrong and you were right, God. I'm sorry, I was walking on a path that was my own path and I wanna walk on your path, I wanna follow you. I was playing king and I want you to be king. 
in my life. And so what I'm gonna do this morning, we're gonna do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, but what I wanna do is ask everybody to stand, ask the band to come out, and we're gonna have a time for people just to come and confess, come to confess and repent. You ask like, Kirk, why can't I just do this in my seat? You can, but I'll tell you this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer at one point in his life and ministry made a comment about confession that sometimes it's so easy to confess in our seat to God because we're not confessing to a holy God, we're confessing to ourselves and it's easy to absolve yourself from sin, right? So why do we gather with a group of people and confess to other people? We gather with a group of people and we confess to other people because in that moment, our sin comes to light and we have someone there with God to stand with us to remind us that there's grace for us and a new way to live our lives, okay? So here's what I'm gonna ask. If you are a, a staff member or if you are an elder, I want you to come to the front of the room. Staff or elder, come to the front of the room. You guys come forward. Prayer team, come to the front of the room. You guys line the front. And if you need to confess something today, you're like, Kirk, I am way out of line. I'm walking on a path that I should not be walking on. I would love to invite you to come forward. And you're like, but everyone will see me. You're right, they will. I don't know what else to tell you. But this is what maybe God's calling you to do today. And I wanna make that an option for you as we sing this next song. Let me pray for us. And then I'm gonna give you an opportunity to come to the front and repent. Lord, we come to you today and we want you to know that we see your goodness. God, in, in our world, it stands out like a beacon in the night, like a city on a hill. And God, we also confess to you that there are days when we intentionally step out from under your authority because we wanna do our own thing. But God, we recognize too that it's wrong. We want you to know today, God, that we believe that your way is right. And so for some of my brothers and sisters in the room today, they need to come to the front and just sit with someone and let them pray for them as they confess. I have this issue in my life of sin. I'm walking outside of God's will in this area and I'm sorry and I wanna live a different life. I wanna follow Jesus. God, I just pray that you would give courage to men and women today who need to come and confess and repent. Just that, simply that. God, we pray for broken hearts over our sin. Not some, not sin as in just some word that we throw out there that's religious, but sin as in like just abandoning your way. Lord, we wanna live in tune with the way you made the world, the way you made us. We wanna honor you with our lives. And pray these things in your name. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.